0: Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. So, chapter 3 opens up with a reminder, a reminder that we would all do well to heed. Obey the authorities. There's a lot of people that cannot seem to obey anymore. A person who cannot obey the rules or their rulers is a person that's going to become obsessed with pleasing themselves, no matter how crazy it gets. Serving themselves is the most important thing on earth. They seem to pride themselves on their ability to get away with things. And I got several people popping into my mind right now over the years who I've met that remind me of this. So this topic of teaching people to obey the authorities, it's also addressed throughout the scriptures. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, where Moses teaches the Israelites to teach their kids the things of the law, it says in Deuteronomy 6 verse 6, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So teaching our children to obey when they're little sets the stage for your teaching them as they grow. I've watched parents over the years who allow their children to totally disrespect them when they're one or two years old. And the parents do nothing about it. Then the kids become brats and nobody wants to be around them and their training in obedience is supposed to start as soon as they're born. When they cry, and you hold them, and you rock them, or feed them, or meet their need, whatever it is, and then they stop crying, you're teaching them. And because you teach them, As they're hungry and you start to feed them, they automatically realize, okay, feeding's coming. I'm going to stop crying or I'm going to mellow out a little bit here because I know what's coming. You're in that mode of teaching them, talking to them, comforting them, doing what's right for their needs. And as they grow and begin to do naughty things, they also need that moment where, hey, something's coming and it changes their mindset. They don't understand their need yet when they're little, but you know that if they continue being naughty, it's not good for them or anybody else. So training them up in the way that they should go becomes critical. 1 Peter 2.13 Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And the interesting thing about the times when Peter and Paul wrote their letters was the Roman emperors were pretty brutal towards Christians. They were not friendly. And yet God still wants us to submit to those in charge and not blow our witness, even to the point of death. And not just the authorities, but also the spiritual leaders, those people who have proven themselves to be godly in your fellowship, you should submit to them in things involving the scriptures. Listen to their wisdom. In Hebrews thirteen seventeen it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. You ever think that leaders are accountable for their people? Yeah, they are. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So make it easy on your leaders to lead, especially the good ones. I have been under the supervision of excellent leaders. I've also been under the leadership of terrible leaders. And even the terrible leaders, you're not justified in rebelling against them. You have a process to object. But disobeying them is rarely appropriate, unless they're so off the rails that you have to. But our leaders that have responsibility over us, God is going to hold them accountable. And despite many people resenting their leaders at private meetings that I've attended, taking care of our people is not only expected, it's required. But it doesn't seem like it to those under your care a lot of times. They don't see it. They see the ivory tower syndrome, us versus them. But Paul knew better. He's like, no, Paul was a leader. He understood these things. Romans thirteen three: For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad would you have no fear to the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. Obey, and it will go well with you. That's the message. Verse 2. Speak evil of no one to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Remember, the fruit of the Spirit, let it show. Verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy hated by others, and hating one another. Yep, that's the old life that we were living as our natural man or natural woman, doing the things of the world and the work of the flesh. In Galatians 5.19, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. Of the things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we need to remember that's where we were, but not anymore. Verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, verse 5, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Verse 6 whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So Jesus saved us from the natural man or natural woman or natural self by filling us with his Spirit. The supernatural God is now driving us. The Holy Spirit is moving through us and compelling us to do that which is righteous, that which is holy. 1 Corinthians 6.11, And such were some of you, but you were washed, You were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Yeah, this is good news to all those who have been born again. We understand that we are no longer stuck in that place where we're doing all this stuff wrong and doing all this stuff wickedly and not being able to overcome it. We have God's Spirit in us. And that is good news. Verse 7, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now think about how many people you know that have died. They are in eternity now. This life that we're stuck in continues to unfold, and we are continuing to live in it. Their lives, however, are different now. Some are in torment, awaiting the final judgment, while others are in the presence of the Lord. 2 Corinthians five six. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in this body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. In other words, Paul's saying, look, I'd rather be at home with the Lord in my eternal home, my permanent home, than in this life. Verse 8, this saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. These are the things that profit us now and eternally, so focusing on these things and doing them positions us in a place where God will bless us. And as we experience his blessing in this life, we realize they come from obeying his word and allowing his spirit to move through us and doing what he says. That's where the blessings come from. That's where the supernatural power really ramps up is when we trust him and we obey him. Verse 9, But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. I use this verse on occasion when someone wants to argue about something stupid, some theological debate about things that have nothing to do with faith, obedience, holiness, and they've discouraged brothers and sisters to the point where they hate each other. And for what? And Jesus had his share of these kind of arguments with the religious leaders who were mad because he kept shutting down their silly arguments with the truth. They in turn wanted to throw the traditions at him, and the traditions were not divinely inspired by God, but the law and the prophets, the word of God, that was inspired. Especially the Sabbath. The leaders had made the Sabbath into this crazy burden, not a time of rest, like it says in the commandments, and Jesus brings them back to earth, and what do they do? Repent? Nope. They conspire. That's where foolish arguments get you. It's better, in my opinion, to just let it go and say, look, you can believe that if you want. That's fine. So you get into all these stupid arguments about stuff and you end up hating your brother or your sister because they believe something different than you do, and it's not an essential doctrine. How many people over the years have argued about how long a guy's hair can be? It's stupid stuff like that. Women can't wear pants. You know, those kind of arguments that you get into. What version of the Bible do you read? The best version of the Bible is the one that you read every day. Sort of. Verse 10. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with them. Lots of people in the church stir up division. The original word used here for a person that stirs up division is hahiraticos or something like that. That's where we get our word heretic. It's not just someone who spreads false doctrine, which if you've been in church for any length of time, you'll see many teachers who teach false doctrines, as well as many Bible teachers that speak the truth, but are labeled heretics by others who don't agree with them. But it's also used of those who cause division in the body. So if you encounter a person that is teaching something that you know is not true about the scriptures, you're not supposed to club them over the head and call them evil and all this kind of stuff, you're supposed to warn them once. And then, if they don't heed, you warn them again. And after that, it's like, I'm out, dude. I'm not having any more of this. So instead of coming down hard on them, you try to minister to them. You try to warn them something that you know of. Say, look, this is what the Bible says. This is what this means. Maybe they'll understand more clearly. Like when Apollos came from Alexandria, and he came and preached in Ephesus after Paul had already left. And Priscilla and her husband Aquila, they heard Apollos teach, and they realized, yeah, he's not teaching everything accurately. So what did they do? Slam him on social media as a false teacher? No, they confronted him and then they taught him more accurately. And what did he do? He heeded those things and he became a more powerful preacher of the word. So they helped him. They didn't come down hard on him. So we need to be careful when people are teaching stuff that's maybe off base, you know, rather than going off on them, they may just need a simple word of encouragement. Say, listen, man, what you just said there this is what the Bible says. Look at this. You're not quite on base. Get on base and rock and roll. Oh, cool. Thanks, man. whole lot better than declaring war on them. And if they don't budge, then you're out. Done your job. Verse 11, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. God will now deal with that person. Verse 12, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Neapolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Verse 13, do your best to speed Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. So Paul gives Titus some instruction, and notice who's there, Apollos. Hey, what do you know? I want to see Apollos. Verse 14, And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help the cases of urgent need, and not be unfruitful. Being fruitful as a believer, it means that we are the servants that Jesus has called us to be. He had no problem meeting the needs of those who came to him, and he did what he could to bless them, and so should we. Our works, or the things that we do, should reflect our profession of faith, to be like him. James 2.18, but some will say you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. Matthew 5.16, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Verse 15, all who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. So Paul signs off wishing grace upon them all. And that concludes his letter to Titus. Thank you.